Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Lifetimes with Carissa Santos, the podcast. My guest for today is my friend Jazz Sikia. He's currently pursuing a master's degree in cardiovascular perfusion at Medical University of South Carolina. And we'll talk about a couple of things that you should or might want to know before embarking on a perfusion career. Hi, Jazz. How are you? Good. I've been doing well, Carissa. How have you been? I'm doing well, staying safe. How's everything in South Carolina right now? It's pretty rainy, honestly, uh, and something about Charleston is it floods pretty easily, so I had to get myself a new pair of rain boots, but besides <laughs> that, it's been good. It's It's been a great city, honestly. Yeah, that's good. I like the colorful houses. I wish that I could visit you soon and see that myself. Yeah, that'd be awesome. It's it's weird. It's urban, but it's not like New York urban uh-huh. or Chicago urban. It's it's just old urban, like like its own thing, Charleston urban. Charleston Urban. I'd love to see it. Maybe next year when everything is not as uh, chaotic. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the hope. So, Jess, can you share a little bit of your background? Yeah, so um, so I graduated several years ago with a Bachelor's of Science in Nursing from University of North Carolina, Greensboro. And then I worked for two years at Duke University Hospital's cardiothoracic ICU. And Mm -hmm. then I'm now in school for a master's in cardiovascular perfusion at the Medical University of South Carolina. Yeah, I guess that's that's all my healthcare background right there. (laughs) (laughs) So what is a perfusionist? How did you hear about this profession? Okay, so this is usually my... um, my elevator speech to people who ask me this question because it's it's a very common one not a lot of people know what a perfusion is Mm -hmm. so when you're having when someone has open heart surgery um the surgeon has to basically or yeah the surgeon is trying to operate in the heart that's that that's what it means right but it's very difficult to do it when the heart is a full of blood and B, moving, right? It's like trying mm-hmm. to sew with your eyes closed on a moving target. It, it doesn't usually turn out well. So right. what, so what um, they do is they clamp off the heart. They mm-hmm. separate from the circulation of your body. And then they drain it. Um, and then they stop it with a solution. And then they connect the rest of the body up to this machine with tubes that does the work of the heart and lungs for it. So it does the oxygenation and it moves the blood around, basically. The people who handle that machine are called perfusionists. So that's one part of the question in a, in a nutshell. The other part about how, yeah. I, the, the other part about how I heard about this um, career was that there's a machine, there's basically like a miniature version of this machine that um, can be used in the hospital units, like mm-hmm. like ICUs, instead of having to be in, um, in an operating room. And on the floor that I was in, we handled those machines, we dealt with those machines a lot. And there was a perfusionist 24-7 on our floor because they were the specialists in that sort of machine. So if something were to go wrong or they had to troubleshoot it, the perfusionist was there. And they were always very knowledgeable. They they knew so much. Um, so I would end up talking to them a lot. And then they told me that this that them being on the hospital floor on the intensive care unit 
was only really about 10% of their job. Mm-hmm. And that what they really did was in the operating room. Um, and so that's that's basically how I got introduced to Perfusion. Because not a lot of people know about this profession, right? And I only heard about it when you told me about it. So that's a yeah. very good like way to explain what it is in a nutshell. So what's the scope of practice and what are the main roles and responsibilities of a perfusionist? So the scope of practice for, um, for perfusionists really depends on, I guess where you work because it, it it can differ from state to state and from hospital to hospital even but the the main thing is typically you provide um the surgeon and the surgical team with a motionless and a bloodless field so like you know you stop the heart you empty the heart so that there's no blood and so that it's not moving so that they can do what they need to do. And then we're in charge of, you know, keeping that machine going, um, stopping the heart too with, uh, it's called cardioplegia. It's basically like a very high potassium um, solution that stops the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also in charge of anticoagulating the patient properly, pro- properly so that... <laughs> uh, so that their blood doesn't clot while right. um, it's you, while it's going through our machine because blood just doesn't like touching other things that aren't like vessels, arteries, and veins, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, yeah, uh, anything dealing with blood typically in the operating room typically comes with us. Oh, I see. You're kind of like creating a, a clean canvas for the surgeon so they can properly see what they're supposed to do and work on yes exactly exactly right because otherwise they just they'd open the heart and then blood would spread out everywhere um they'd prick their fingers trying to sew it sew some things up mm-hmm. and then the patient dies <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty big deal that has to be very precise and it's definitely a teamwork right among everyone in the or to make um that surgery well, to make it a successful surgery. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, that's uh, that's part of why I love it. Uh, everyone in the OR, you know, has their designated roles. They know what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just kind of like the cogs and a uh, cogs and a clock, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, why did you choose to pursue a career in perfusion, and what motivated you to finally go for it? So. Um, well, I went into nursing because my parents really wanted me to go into nursing. Not to say that I didn't enjoy it. I actually really enjoyed what I did um, on the cardiothoracic ICU. Yeah. I learned, learned a lot of cool stuff, but a lot of cool people. But it wasn't necessarily what I wanted to be doing the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. So I'd always looked at like you know being a nurse practitioner or being a, a CRNA or maybe a physician's assistant, like a PA, something like that. But none of them really jumped out at me as something that I wanted to do. I just, I just knew that I wanted to move forward this path. I was like, "Oh, that's so cool! Can I can I shadow you guys?" Uh, one of my close perfusionist friends at Duke. I asked her if I could shadow her, if I could go into the um, operating room with her, see what she does. And she she took me a couple times actually. You know, she she talked me through what they were doing. She let me sit in while she was um, or 
yeah, while she was working, uh, she we went into a couple other people people's rooms, and they showed me um, there was another perfusionist there. She she explained to me what they were doing, and you know the differences and the surgeries and all that stuff. And I was just fascinated the whole time. I was like, this is what I want to do. Yeah, such a cool thing. Uh, and I found that you know working working in healthcare, I, I thought that you know I'd really be into the communicate and build a relationship with patients and family sort of deal and it was to a certain part um, mm-hmm. really enjoyed that sort of interaction but what I realized after a couple of years that I ended up enjoying even more was being part of that sort of team being part of you know a very professional very capable team with a goal knowing what they wanted to do and that I enjoyed those interactions too so even if you know even if I'm in the operating room and I don't really get to talk to patients anymore, yeah. I'm, st- you know, I I feel like I'm getting fulfilled because I am doing something good and I'm doing something good with great people around me. So that's kind of how I ended up choosing Perfusion. Um, what made mo- motivated me to go for it was that uh, I feel like, and I've heard this from several other people, Perfusion is at this kind of turning point where not a lot of people know about it but that's mm-hmm. ch- but that's changing that that's changing very quickly um so y- you may not remember you may not remember this um but some people might that you know everyone and their mother is telling their kids to be a nurse and then be a crna because it's such a good path you know yeah uh, the the <laughs> the <laughs> result of that the consequence of that is that there's so many CRNAs that salaries are actually starting to drop and job openings are, are getting very rare. You know, so the, the field is saturated, basically. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was in the same place that Profusion is, basically. It was, a, it was kind, of, kind of obscure. Um, not a lot of people knew about it, but it had great job outlook, uh, paid extremely well. Yeah. Uh, and it's safe. You know, healthcare is typically safe. And then the word got out. A lot of people started looking for it, school started popping up, and then suddenly, bam, you've got, you know, everyone wanted to be a CRNA. Perfusion, I feel like, is kind of at that precipice where it's obscure, not a lot of people know about it, but they're starting to. And, you know, when they do their research and they hear about it, they're like, wow, this this is such a great, this is such a great gig. Uh, and then they're going to jump into it. So I was like, mm-hmm. if I, so... I said to myself, I'm going to apply this year, and if I get in, I'm going to go. If I don't get in, I'll try again next year because I wanted to get in as soon as I could, you know? Cause Before also, everyone jumps in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Before everyone jumps in. And also, when you know when you know what you want to do, why would you put it off, right? Like, like I knew after after uh, shadowing several times that this is, this is really what I want to do. Like, I enjoyed this sort of stuff. This seems so cool to me. Um so why would I put it off, you know? Mm-hmm. I like how you explored your options. Like you just didn't say, okay, I'm just going to go ahead and apply to Perfusion School. So you shadowed and you you weren't really um, just focused on one thing. So I like how you did that first before jumping into this profession. Yeah, absolutely. You, know, you got you to gotta weigh all your options, really. Let's talk about the process of applying to Perfusion Schools. What preparations did you have to do? Um, so for me specifically, I had to take a couple of prerequisite courses. 
Uh, one of them was like medical terminology, which come to find out later, I actually could have waived if I had asked nicely because I had worked as a nurse for two years. So I already know all that stuff. But oh, you know, man. <laughs> that's OK. Uh, yeah. I had to take a physics course. A lot of the science courses um, I had already had from from my nursing degree so mm-hmm. i actually have it here for my particular school the requirements it looks like you need like a, a bachelor's degree um, a minimum gpa of three um, a whole bunch of prerequisite courses like physics medical terminology chemistry anatomy and physiology stats and then um math uh, you have to have taken the gre have a pretty good score you have to have at least three references, CPR certification, or sorry, current CPR certification, and you have to have shadowed at least uh, at least once, which means you know you follow a perfusionist around in the operating room for some time there. Right, but I guess they probably alter that because of COVID, where not a lot of people can actually shadow uh, because of the restrictions. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm not too certain about. Uh, and I guess not a lot of people are certain about how that changes. I haven't really seen any changes yet because um, they only accept like once a year. Mm-hmm. So by the time that we had that my class had already been accepted, COVID had not yet hit. So next year's class will be affected in what their uh, requirements are. But I don't know what that is yet. I don't know how they plan to do it. Um, if they plan to like ease up on the shadowing or like find some other way to do it like uh, (laughs) online shadowing or something remote shadowing set up some cameras in the operating room right i think e-shadowing is becoming a thing now most uh, physicians and students are doing that so i think that's a good initiative considering that covid isn't going away anytime soon (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) what was your application timeline like Thinking back, I uh, I remembered that I was really interested in it, or that I had like found out about it like February March last year. So mm-hmm. then I started talking to perfusionists, and then I shadowed the first time in like June July, um, May June yeah May June July. I uh, started shadowing, and I and I loved it so much that I went back several times. I think I went back four five times, <laughs> actually, um, last year. And then I uh, had worked up, worked on my application, and then I um, knew that I had to have these prerequisite courses. So I took one prerequisite course that fall. I sent in my application um, that winter because that's when it was due. And then I uh, yeah sorry I sent in I I took one prerequisite course that fall and then I also took the GRE that fall mm-hmm. and then those two I sent in my um, application in that winter and then I told them that I'm taking the final prerequisite course this spring because you know I needed that extra one but I I just let them know and they're like oh yeah that's fine you know just send us the transcript whenever you're done with that spring course and I took physics all throughout spring and in February they let me know that I wanted that they wanted me to visit Charleston to interview and then March I found out that I was accepted. It's a pretty short timeline, right? You took the GRE in the fall, you were doing the second course that you needed during spring and then uh, following what's that? July or what did you say March? You already found out you got accepted? Oh yeah, yeah. It was a yeah, pretty, pretty fast. Pretty quick. And you know, once I had really decided that this is what I want to do, I I put 
all of my effort into it. Like I finished mm-hmm. my application in like a week. I had gotten like all the references, all of my transcripts, everything, dug them out and put together in a week. And then I uh, had talked to several people about shadowing, lined up, you know, all the tests, had talked to the community college to take their courses all in about like two weeks. Because wow. this is what I wanted to do. You know, I was I was super excited. I was like, gosh, this this is gonna be so cool. But you know, it was um, it was quick though. Uh, the because uh, the application I think was due August or September, and then the interview was February, and then I found out that next month March. It's really true how when you want something, you make a way to make it happen. <laughs> no yeah. excuses. One hundred percent. When you find that thing, you gotta fight for it. Right. Uh, what factors did you consider when you were choosing the schools that you wanted to apply to? So there's only 17 schools in the entire United States that have profusion. Um, mm. Only 17. And MUSC, the, uh, MUSC in South Car- Charleston, South Carolina, was the closest to me at the time, which is um, in North Carolina. So that played a pretty big factor. Because um, a lot there's like schools up in New York, there's some in Florida, in Arizona, Texas. I think there's one in Tennessee, and then South Carolina. There's a couple more. I just don't remember all of them. Yeah. So that was a big one. Was that it was location, but also kind of anecdotally from all the perfusionists that I had talked with before, they always say that you know the um, students from MUSC always seem to be very well prepared. Um, that the program does them really good. Uh, another aspect is that Perfusion is actually a certificate program, mm-hmm. but it's it's moved because I'm taking a master's in Perfusion. There's also a bachelor's in Perfusion, and then there's also a certificate program. Oh, okay. Uh, the, yeah, the field is you'll you'll find a job regardless of what you have, but the field is moving towards having a degree to to be that way it's probably going to take a long time for it to really you know be oh you got to have a master's mm-hmm. but um i already have a bachelor's degree and i just i don't want to take another bachelor's degree right <laughs> but if i'm going to go back to school i want to get have something to show for it so you know i wanted to get my master's so that's why i came here uh, how long will the program take and how rigorous is it yeah uh, so it's two years mm-hmm. uh, it's it's pretty ridiculous. It's very it's very rigorous. So the first year is all didactic, which mm-hmm. means that you're in school. Yeah, the first two it's three, I guess, because it's including a summer. So um, the first three semesters is um, which is fall, spring and summer is all classes, everything I need to know. And then the next year is purely rotations. So the next two semesters, I will be traveling around the country in different operating rooms, getting trained there. So like like rotations, you know, like clinical rotations sort of deal. Mm-hmm. That's exciting. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. But as a result, the first year is very difficult because it's there's, there's so much that you have to know. And the the, the thing, the, uh, the knowledge is, is difficult. It's complex. Um, and you, it's just at such a fast pace. Mm-hmm. But uh, but it's cool. It's very cool, actually. So it's. But really you're good. halfway done. Yeah, I know. Well, almost halfway, <laughs> <laughs> almost halfway. Almost halfway. 
They say the first semester is the hardest too, because they just crammed so many classes into this one semester. Right. So once, hopefully it's a little bit easier, but it's it's pretty tough. It's two. It's basically two years of of um. I mean, it's a grad school, you know. It's two years of really intense work. And it's probably harder now because of online classes too. Yeah, that that carries with it its own host of problems for sure. It's hard to keep up motivation when I'm sitting in my apartment. Uh, <laughs> for hours on end um so after graduating from the program can you work right away or do you still have to train more uh so after i graduate i'll have my degree and i can actually go and work um anywhere that i want but the licensing process is actually a little weird in that you have to have pumped 40 cases which means you you were the perfusionist for 40 cases um afterwards right uh so usually most places they'll hire you will hire you and then um and then expect you to get your license after you've pumped 40 cases so you pump 40 cases and they take a test and then you you get essentially your board's test and then you get your license but after after i graduate i can just work straight away it's actually interesting in that some um it's not unified across all the states. Mm-hmm. Some states require you to have a license. license. Some don't, actually. Oh. Mm-hmm. So, so what does that license... Oh, I guess it really varies per state where you want to practice. Like, if you need a license or not. I mean, if you want to practice in a state that doesn't require a license, you don't really have to get the license? Yeah, I guess you don't. It's something that I, I think, you know most people would get anyways because the license isn't handled by the state Mm -hmm. it's um it's handled by um this perfusion board but the states don't require some states don't require you to have a license i just did a quick count and i think it's 19 states require you to have a certified perfusionist license to be able to work there so the other ones i guess you know you could do without but um i would assume that it's moving towards general licensure well i mean you're gonna do 40 cases anyway might as well get the license (laughs) yeah yeah for sure Uh, i I don't i don't know any reason why you wouldn't but we're just saying in case you you failed the test or something there are states who would still accept you even without the license as long as you finish the program yeah and then you know you could always retake the test for sure Mm -hmm. so let's talk about job opportunities is it easy to find a job in this field um i would say it's Uh, a little more complex so uh i think that the field is growing there's no shortage of jobs in this field the problem is is where those jobs are because it's not like i can't go to just any city and then uh end up working there um they would have to have like a hospital that does surgery Mm -hmm. uh, specifically cardiac surgeries for me to be able to um to work there right so um so there's that. But last time I heard, there was 4,200 perfusionists in the United States total. And a lot of them are retiring. Uh, a, a significant amount of that number is retiring. So there's going to be, and you know, as you know, overall health is, is improving. People are living longer. They're having more surgeries. So the amount of cardiac and um, lung surgeries happening is uh is increasing so i definitely think that there is no shortage of jobs 
to be had. The question is where those jobs will be. Yeah, definitely. And I think it wouldn't be soon until the field becomes saturated. I think it will be a couple more years before that happens. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think so. Um, from from what I've heard from other students uh, of previous years and perfusion, recent perfusionists, is that the number of applicants for um, for their classes have have Im- increased substantially. So, like last year, I think it was for for. MUSC last year it was like 130 to 140 um, applicants for 26 spots. This year it was around 150 to 200 for 26 spots, uh, and I only see that number going up. Because <laughs> that's normally the trend, right? When something becomes popular, a lot of undergrads normally lean towards that option, and then eventually it becomes saturated. I don't see that happening anytime soon in this field. What is the work environment like, based on what you've observed so far? Uh, so work, so the work environment as a whole in the operating room, um, varies depending on the surgeon. I've heard some, some horror stories about some surgeons who were just mean as, mean as you could be, Mm -hmm. uh, just shout at the anesthesiologist, at the perfusionist, at nurses, just, just unpleasant, generally unpleasant. Uh, and but the operating rooms that I've been a part of that I've been able to see have been you know super positive. Um, everyone's you know kind of doing their thing, let, keeping each other in the loop, not really shouting. Um, when things get tense, people work harder, they focus in, but it's not really like a negative environment. I think I, I think that all kind of go ties into the um, the gears in a in a clock, cogs in a clock that I was yeah. saying. So. And, you know, I I think it's been good, actually. But also, I think it depends on, as with any job, it depends yeah. on who you're with. Where you work and who you, yeah. Would you say that work-life balance is one of the pros in this field? Uh, no. <laughs> no? <laughs> Why is that? So, as with most healthcare fields, I would say that it's... It's something that you have to be very deliberate about, about balancing work and life, because it's very easy to just get caught up into it because, you know, you've got because you're working several hours on end. um, It's probably going to be more than eight, I think. And then you can also take call uh, and then if there's emergencies that come in and no one else can take take it uh, like so the. The ones I've been ta- I've been talking about have been like a big university hospital where there's a lot of perfusionists employed. So mm-hmm. you know if if something goes wrong and you're it's your day off, they'll find someone else. Someone else is working. But let's say you're in some hospital out in the country that does you know cabbages, that does one cardiac surgery, relatively simple one, but you're the only perfusionist. No matter what day of the week. If an emergency comes in, they're gonna call you. You're yeah. on call, yeah. That's that's one of those things. When you work in healthcare, it's 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 easy to let work life balance kind of slip by, but you have to be very deliberate. What do you like most about what you're doing? Uh, I think I just think it's I just think it's cool. <laughs> um, yeah. Honestly, the uh, the kind of ideas and the concepts behind what we do um they make sense to me um 
I enjoy the technical aspect of it because you know you are working with a machine. Um, you have to be very good with your hands, and then also the fact that the field is actually, relatively speaking, really new. So. Mm-hmm. They didn't start doing cardiac surgeries until the 1950s. And when I say start doing, I mean they were like flying by the seat of their pants, um, getting by and spitting prayers and just hoping that it works, you know. Uh, that's, the sort of, <laughs> that's the sort of thing. Like they really pioneered yeah. cardiac surgery in the 1950s. And it's only gone up since then. But compared to like other fields which have existed for, you know, Hundreds of years. Yeah, it's hundreds of years for centuries since the dawn of time, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is new. This is It's only 70 years old. That's extremely young for a field. So there's still so much to find out. There's so much to figure out. I mean, even, the, even my professors say, yeah, you know, we don't really have a good solution for this. Or we don't really have a good solution for that. There's, there's so many things to be explored. Um, and that's kind of what I what I like about it. It's not like, you know, just say like like alcohol making. Like it's not yeah. like they've been brewing alcohol since since they figured out um, what it was. I feel like there's not too much more you can get. But what do I know? I don't really be saying you know, compared to yeah. people have had thousands of years to to figure things out. This is pretty new. All right. Um, there's so much more to learn yeah yeah absolutely and you have to innovate for sure with um everything that's happening all the um technological advances as well so that's really exciting oh yeah oh yeah it's there's like i said there's so much more to explore um and there's just so many different avenues to do you know like there's so much research that can be done that hasn't been done yet Mm. Usually if you try maybe to, you'll do one <laughs> I, i've been thinking about it i've been thinking I've been thinking about it a lot when i uh, when i when i get out and work there's some things that i want to explore yeah. sure. maybe you can be a researcher and a perfusionist at the same time yeah who knows we'll see maybe i'll uh maybe i'll make some something new and uh come out with millions and millions of dollars <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of dollars, if you don't mind me asking, what is the expected salary after graduation? So average that I've heard of, uh, at least at least a hundred thousand to one hundred eighty is around average. Um, one of my good friends moved to California, and I hear tell that she's making four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars a year. Oh um, wow. Yeah, so that's pretty crazy, but I don't want to move to California, so. (laughs) Well, I mean, their expenses are also pretty high, so. Yeah. I think that's why they earn more. But that's still crazy. That's I think that's a really good amount. You'll live a comfortable life with that kind of salary. Oh yeah, (laughs) that's why I said you know it's it's starting to get, it's starting to get pretty uh pretty, pretty saturated and out there in terms of people uh hearing about this because people would make that money uh w- would make you know 100 180,000 with just a certificate would just would like you didn't even have to get a full degree you'd just have mm-hmm. a certificate so um <laughs> yeah super specialized super um super cool field i think uh, the more people find out about it the more uh the more we'll see people um entering the field so let's talk about some tips and advice how do you stay motivated and how do you prevent burnout 
motivation, I think, uh, has really been a lot to like remembering, you know, why I'm getting into this field. Really, develop like that I developed a passion for this, but also, like I said earlier, about being deliberate with with my work life balance. So there's like a lot of times I used to play a lot of video games. I used to spend a lot of time just laying in bed on my phone. Um, and I've really had to cut that out basically, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of like my, my wasted time where I'm not really doing anything fulfilling. Um, cause I don't really, I don't have the luxury because if I just did school and I just did that, I would start to feel very miserable, very fast. So, you right. know, getting out, getting out, going to the gym, going on walks, going on runs, um, stuff like that, like reading books, things like that, things that, things that improve your life. I feel like. I've been able to balance that along with um, all the stuff that comes in school, you know, like studying, mm-hmm. papers, all that sort of thing. And it's then, really about rearranging your priorities. Yeah, exactly. You know, well, and then I was about to say, you know, if you have a significant other, like uh, I'm engaged. And so um, really putting time aside to spend with my fiance, especially because we're long distance. So, you know, mm-hmm. to do things over Skype or um, play video games together, watch movies together, even if we're far away, just putting aside time, just being deliberate with my time instead of letting my time get away from me, I think has really helped in um, making sure that I don't get burnt out. Right. And it's also good to stay in touch with family members. Like what you said, um, if you have a fiance or a boyfriend or girlfriend, it makes them feel that you're really allocating time for them, even though you have a really busy schedule. Yeah. Yes. Lastly, do you have any tips or just a short message for those who are interested in becoming a perfusionist? I do. Uh, Shadow early and shadow a lot. Um, both for, for a couple reasons. One is you want to make sure that this is actually what you want to do. You know, I, I've talked about this field a lot. It's such a great, it's such a great career, such a great outlook. Um, it's such a fascinating field of study. But if it's not your thing, you don't really want to get into it. You know, so I would say shadow, so you can get in and see is this what you want to do, is it, or is it just kind of like oh, I'm in it for the money? Because if you're in it for the money, you're not really going to last that long. Right. And then two, schools love that. Schools love it when you shout out a lot. Um, they they like seeing that you're excited, that you're passionate about um, about getting into the field, and then that you know that you really understand what it is that you're going to do. You know, so I would say if you're interested, um, reach out to your hospitals or uh, find someone near you. Or yeah, I guess if you don't have anyone near you, I'd say reach out to to a hospital near you. Um, Maybe like like we were saying earlier with all this COVID issues going on, it might be difficult. Maybe they have some some electronic or online sort of shadowing possibility. But uh, get out there. Get out there and mm-hmm. see what it's all about. And then, you know, sit down and say, is this what you want to do? And if it is, go for it. Give it your all. And I think schools really want to see that you didn't go to it just because of the money like they want to see that you're passionate about it and that you weighed your options and that you really know what you're getting yourself into because one it's not cheap and two it takes a lot of your time and it's it's really a hard field to be in as well oh yeah i (laughs) i 100 percent agree it's it's difficult you know and um if you don't have if you're not really interested in the in do, in doing this it's it's going to be difficult to sit through classes <laughs> right 
Well, thank you so much, Jazz, for sharing your journey with us. I'm sure a lot of people who are interested in this career learned a lot, because I, I did. And um, congrats also on your engagement. I'm so happy for you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like I said, you know, I'm really excited about this thing. And I hope that if other people hear about it and find out that they're excited, I hope that it pushes them to, to, look, to look into it, too, you know. Yeah, I mean, everything you said was um, detailed and it, it's definitely informative. So, again, thank you so much for being here. And that's it for today's episode. We'll see you guys in the next one. Bye. All right, thanks oh. for having me. Bye. <laughs>